You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hey, peeps and creeps. Let me introduce you to a new true crime podcast, True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from con artists to serial killers. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. No, really. She's heard none of them. Hey! Ugh. I guess that's true. Each week, Kristen tells me a new case with excellent victim-centered storytelling. We laugh, we cry, we get scrunch face, but we always stay respectful of the victims and their story. While ruthlessly dragging criminals. Flaming them. (laughs) We've covered everything, from con artist Anna Delvey, a personal favorite of mine, to unsolved crimes like the Austin Yogurt Shop murders. With a five-star rating on iTunes, go check us out because we're probably that true crime podcast you've been looking for. You can find True Crime Creepers wherever you get your podcast. New episodes every Thursday. Bye, peeps and creeps. Hi, I'm Annie from the U.S. And I'm Johanna from Austria. And you are from all over the world. And that's why this is your favorite international podcast. You just heard the promo for True Crime Creepers hosted by Kristin and Mogab. The topics they cover are so widespread, from the Fire Festival to Bell Gunners. They even covered the Rebecca Sahau case. So head on over to True Crime Creepers to see what the ladies have to say about this mysterious death. Definitely. Very similar interests. So yeah, if you're a regular listener, welcome back. Thank you so much for all of your support, your lovely messages, and your ratings and reviews. And as always, we want to give a very special shout out to our newest Patreon member, Sherry Dawn Sheffield. Thank you so much. Sheffield, England is known for its stainless steel. Really lovely cutlery in Sheffield. Lovely city. Friends used to live there. So thank you very much, Sherry Dawn. We're so grateful. Also, Mr. Sheffield. Is there a Mr. Sheffield? From the nanny. Oh, God, was that his name? Max Sheffield. Mm -hmm. That's right. Max Sheffield. (laughs) God, your mind is like a vault when it comes to... (laughs) Mine is a sieve. Useless pop culture references. Okay. (laughs) No, it's good. We need you on our pub quiz trivia team. (laughs) Guys, if this is your first time listening, we are two online friends who never met in real life, but we meet weekly in the virtual world, so to say, to talk about murder, mystery, and the macabre. And if you go back and listen from the beginning, you will not only learn about really interesting cases throughout history, but you will also witness us getting to know each other and our friendship blossoming. Uh, And if you listen from the newest to the oldest episode, you will see us becoming more distant, if that's your jam. So there you go. (laughs) Our first couple episodes were really the first few times we ever spoke. We only texted really up until then. So you've sort of lived our friendship as we've, you know, experienced it. (laughs) Quick warning, we laugh, we cry, we sometimes swear, you know, basic stuff for women with wandering womb syndrome. Oh, the wandering womb. I wonder where mine is now. Medical waste somewhere. But yeah, we're hysterical in the sort of don't let them swear it's bad enough they can vote sense of the term. The Facebook group knows what we're talking about. Sorry, little inside joke for a a few thousand people. Yes, and that's enough of that. Because now we get into today's topic. Check the... Snipper. 
Yes, you heard that correctly. Not check the ripper, but check the snipper. I wish I had a pair of scissors to like, right in the... Ooh, I do. Jack the snipper. <laughs> now Opus is like, what's that sound? <laughs> Hi, baby. It's all right. Just scissors. Okay. This is such a bizarre case, but it's... Well, it's just, it's creepy and unsettling, and also there's a real twist at the end. Mm -hmm. Also, nobody gets seriously hurt in this episode, so that's two thumbs up for that one. This might also be a chattier episode. We may laugh. There will probably be swearing. Um, <laughs> it's things that happen when adults talk. I, you know, you've been warned. Yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> Ooh. So... I stumbled across this one night while browsing the unresolved mysteries subreddit, as one does in Sleepless mm -hmm. Nights. And when I read this, I was thinking, how the hell have I never heard about this? And then I asked Annie if she ever had heard about it, and uh, you said you vaguely remembered reading about it at one point. Yes. So we decided that just in case you lovely folks out there haven't heard about it either, we have to tell you everything about it. We have to. We're contractually obligated. <laughs> All right. This all takes place in Pennsylvania in 1917, in a town called Wilkes-Barre. With roughly 40,000 inhabitants, this town is the fourth biggest metropolitan area in Pennsylvania. From the town's official webpage, you, as always, will find the link in our sources. Quote, About Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. The city of Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania is a progressive city with industrial roots, Located along the Susquehanna River, Wilkes-Barre is the seat of Lucerne County and is a keystone of northeastern Pennsylvania. The city's current population estimate is 40,569. That's a very precise estimate. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> Wilkes-Barre offers easy access to highways and airports. Wilkes-Barre is approximately two hours away from New York City and Philadelphia. Wilkes-Barre is also a short drive from the beautiful... Bocono Mountains, surrounding communities also boast a number of natural parklands, end quote. And about the history of Wilkes-Barre, quote, Wilkes-Barre was settled in 1769 and reached the height of its prosperity in the 19th century when coal reserves were discovered nearby. This discovery led to the city being nicknamed the Diamond City. With the arrival of hundreds of thousands of immigrants, the city's economy flourished due to new resources and an expanding workforce. The Wyoming Valley held the largest anthracite coal field in the United States at the time. During Wilkes-Barre's reign as an industrial and economic force, a number of franchises planted their roots in the city, such as Bell Telephone, HBO and Stagmire. End quote. And another noteworthy thing about this town is the university campus, which consists of many what I would call Edwardian or maybe Victorian buildings, and is more the specialist. And apparently many of these buildings have their own resident ghost or ghosts. On Valentine's Day of 1969, the university's newspaper, The Beacon, published the following classified ad. Quote, Wanted. One ghost exterminator. References necessary. Contact <laughs> Pat Hill or Bonnie Gallus at Sturdivant Hall. End quote. And this ad was placed by the girls of one of the dorms on campus as they had heard loud knocks on the doors without anybody ever being there. Which reminds me of something that's going on in my own house currently. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you all about it in the Halloween episode. Yes. Opus is very woofy and he's outside. My sister's trying to wrangle him, so... Sorry if you might hear some deep woofing. One and a half months later, on the 20th of March, 1969, 
The following editorial was published in The Beacon, quote, Although it is a modern and scientific age we live in, this reporter has discovered that a goodly portion of the college students of 1969 either believe in and admit to it or cautiously leave room for the possibility of the existence of ghosts. There are no less than five or six rumored spirits roaming our fair campus, it seems. The first ghost of my acquaintance resides in Kirby Hall, the old library. Anyone wanting to verify why someone might have surmised that there are ghosts within might just take a leisurely stroll past this old building some evening, preferably when the moon is full. The chimneys soar high into the sky, the moonlight is reflected in the huge windows, and, just to add an eerie effect, night winds blow the ivy about. By this time, one would expect Count Dracula to come (laughs) strolling out the front door. It's a bit difficult to sift through the rumors flying around concerning Kirby, but the most frequently told tale concerns a long-dead daughter of the Kirby family, supposedly insane, who haunts the old mansion at night. Supposedly, she was kept in a padded room with bars on the window. As tales go, people passing by at night have gazed upward toward the window to spot the white figure of a woman. There are stories of library helpers who had experiences with lights going out mysteriously and doors closing. One lad supposedly thought someone was playing a practical joke when he was shelving books until he realized that the light switch was a good distance from the door and no one was in the room with him. Chills. Another unverified report concerned a professor doing late research one evening on the second floor who looked up to behold the white mist in the form of a woman before him. When he spoke and took a step toward it, the mist retreated up the stairs. Imagine a cowardly ghost. This article is everything. So good. You can see why we just had to read this to you. Continuing on with the quote. Supposedly, there once was a ghost inhabiting Cunningham Hall, but since the building is now barely standing, it's hard to determine if he has remained or whether maybe the fire satisfied whatever revenge or feeling of unrest that might have kept this spirit roaming the earth. I tend to doubt that he has remained because that roof doesn't look too strong to me and it's been a cold winter. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't us. This is the best. It's my favorite article, like, ever. Another interesting group of stories concerned the ghost of Chapman Hall, another dorm on River Street. I found two separate stories explaining the background of spirits there. One story goes that a former member of the family that lived in Chapman Hall was very fond of taking showers. Now, come on, stick with this. The supernatural is very serious business. (laughs) Again, all quotes. Anyway, this person died in the shower or after taking a shower, and now there are tales of the shower going on in the middle of the night. Okay, sorry. End quote. I'm just wondering if that's, like, something I would say if our shower suddenly started coming on. Like, at this point, everything in my life is so stressful that plumbing issues might just be (laughs) that straw that broke the camel's back. So I feel like if our shower suddenly started, like, randomly turning on, I'd be like, oh, yeah, babe, we got shower ghosts now. That's fine. (laughs) Because I can't fucking handle it. I just can't. We did have the water in the sink turn on a few times when we first moved in, but I don't know. All things being equal, I think I'd rather a shower ghost or a sink ghost than a toilet ghost. Mm. I mean, I've never had a toilet ghost, but I've had a sink ghost, and this is talking about shower ghosts. So now the idea of toilet ghosts are worrying me in a way they previously had not. All right. The article continues. Quote, 
If you weren't too fond of that story, I have another ready for you. This story depicts a child living in the house about to have a birthday party. He and the butler, there's always a butler in these kinds of things, went down to the basement, don't ask me why, maybe the child was precocious and they were on their way to the wine cellar to get ready for the party. (laughs) I just can't with this article. Like, this is a very fancy child. He needs to curate the wine list for the canapes. Ugh. All right, sorry. Back to the article. While they were there, the furnace exploded and they were killed. I mean, that would be terrible if it's true, but we don't... Yeah. There's nothing... There's no proof that any of this ever happened. Due to this event, it was not uncommon at one time to hear the sound of a rocking chair in the next room, and upon investigation to discover that the sound was now coming from the first room, and doors have a way of closing or opening, no one seems quite sure which. You know how confusing these things can be. End quote. <laughs> It's like, it's the best, that whole article. I'm just living for it. True believer. A true <laughs> believer there. <laughs> All right, enough. That's good stuff. With the spooky fuckery, and let's dive into our <laughs> main story, because that was not it. That's not even it. We just had to share it. <laughs> Check the snipper. As we said before, it was 1917 when a series of disturbing attacks on teenage girls started to alarm the good people of Wilkes-Barre. Now, the first incident happened on 8th of February 1917. Sarah Corson, a 13-year-old girl, sits all by herself in the kitchen of her family home. She's brushing out her hair. All of a sudden, a man enters the kitchen, and he is armed with a gun and threatens to shoot Sarah if she makes the tiniest noise. He then tickles her under her chin while saying, quote, You're a pretty nice girl, and that's awfully nice hair you have. End quote. And we can only imagine that Sarah must have felt terrified. And then he pulled out a pair of scissors, cuts one strand of Sarah's hair, and runs out of the house, disappearing into thin air. And when Sarah and her family report the attack to the police, all she can say about the man is that he is of medium build and that he was dressed in black all in black. The police theorized if the snipper, that's what they started to call him, was actually cutting off the hair to sell it. But Sarah didn't stay the attacker's only victim for long, because on Valentine's Day, a second attack took place. The victim was a young girl named Margaret McEwen. I'm sorry if I mispronounced it. It's Mac MC and then K-E-O-W-N. I think that's the best we can do, McEwen. Again, her hair was cut off and the man could escape But now something very scary happened. Only two days after this attack, a letter arrived at the girl's home. The letter was apparently by the man who was, as we said, known now as Jack the Snipper, which I find so clever, really. (laughs) And he wanted to inform the parents that he had assaulted the wrong daughter. He told them that he would be back for their other daughter's hair. And indeed, on 22nd of February, 14-year-old Anna the other daughter of the family, was attacked and her hair was cut off when she was crossing a street. The victim stated that she saw the man throw her hair away when he was running off. So now out goes the theory that the hair was stolen to be sold. The investigators now think that the attacker must be a highly disturbed individual. I mean, I would not say that he sounds well-adjusted. No, no, No. not at all. Mm -mm. The very next day, on 23rd of February, the snipper found his next victim. 16-year-old Nellie McAndrew, he attacked her in the kitchen of the family's home. 
It was around 9 a.m. Nellie was home. Her father was a fire boss at the Temple Coal Company. He was sleeping upstairs. The other family members were at a funeral when a stranger knocked at the kitchen door. Nellie opened it to see a man standing there. He asked for something to eat, but before the young girl could even answer or close the door, he forced himself into the house, grabbed the girl by the shoulders, and cut off her hair. So, after a couple of these attacks, the police had a better description of the man. Nellie, as well as Anna, had described the perpetrator as very tall, so not medium-built. He was more around six feet, and very clean-shaven. The police didn't have to wait too long for the next incident. Only one day after Nellie's attack, 13-year-old Florence Irvin, Irvin or Irvine, depending on the sources you read, woke up to find six inches of hair missing and a note on her pillow that read, quote, Tell the girl next door I'll be back for her next week, end quote. Which is, no thank you. Creepy. So creepy. creepy. Yeah, not a fan. The people in Wilkes-Barre were in a complete frenzy. The police station received dozens of phone calls saying that they had seen a strange man here or there and at several places at the same time, and clearly this man or that man or this other guy someone saw at that other place, one of them must be Jack the Snipper. Motorcycle units patrolled the area and tried to react to all of the sightings as quickly as possible, but the Snipper was able to evade the law enforcement officers on patrol. But then, on the 26th of February, an arrest was made. Some passengers of a street trolley had noticed a strange man dressed all in black with a black bag. Wait a minute. Wasn't the snipper described as wearing black clothes? And hey, he has a bag with him. This bag is clearly used to store the beautiful teenage locks. It's just a bag of hair, basically, is what they're saying. They're like, listen, see that tall guy dressed all in black? I bet his bag is full of hair. Can you imagine... And so the passengers on the streetcar start surrounding this very suspicious man who's clearly got a giant bag of hair, and they pull him out of the streetcar, and the police came and arrested the guy. A poor man was a salesman by the name of Frank Rosencrantz. And this is from the Wilkes-Barre record from the 27th of February, 1917. That's 82 years before I was born. Good mathing. Yeah, it's your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so here is the article. Police arrest suspect, jewelry salesman with black bag mistaken for Jack the Snipper. Stories of Jack the Snipper and the attacks of the mysterious prowler upon girls with beautiful hair has caused trouble for Frank Rosencrantz, age 27, of Satterfield, who was arrested yesterday morning by policeman Kintzer on West Market Street, taken to the police station among the hoots and jeers of frenzied people, and forced to face a stiff examination by the detectives all because he carried a black bag and fitted the description of the mysterious Jack. Rosencrantz convinced the police that he had no mania for stealing girls' hair and that he was a jewelry salesman obliged to carry a black grip to make a living. He was released. Whether Jack the Snipper, if there is such a person, continues in his habit of sending notes to young girls, warning them of his intention to cut off their hair, or whether persons given to playing practical jokes on their friends are taking advantage of the opportunity presented by the Snipper stories, is a question that is puzzling the detectives. Should the latter theory be true, however, the practical jokers may bring trouble upon themselves, for a warning note has been sent through the mails, and it is probable that postal inspectors will now join forces with the police in running down the mysterious person. 
Bernard Feist of 236 South Grant Street last night notified police that his daughter yesterday received a warning note from the snipper through the mail. An unsigned note to the same effect was found in the mailbox at the home of Mrs. Sarah Toole, 59 Regent Street, yesterday morning, giving warning that her daughter, Miss Elizabeth Toole, a telephone operator, would suffer the loss of her hair before many days have passed. This case, too, was reported to the police. The detectives are still closed-mouthed about expressing their beliefs as to the identity of the note writers, and it is understood that a comparison of handwritings is being made and interesting developments may be expected today. End quote. Did you hear that, Hellions? If there is such a person and practical chokers. Mm. Yes, because slowly but surely the police started to form a theory of their own. Was there even a checked snipper? Had these girls really been attacked? They started to form their doubt around the attack of Florence Irwin, because how had the snipper entered the Irwin house? No doors or windows showed any signs of a forced entry. The house at the time had been surrounded by mud, and it would have been extremely hard for the intruder not to leave muddy footprints on the floors. The infant sibling who was sleeping next to Florence had not been awakened, and the parents were sure that there was just no way that a man could come into the house without them noticing it. Plus, they stated that they had been awake until 2, respectively 4 a.m., and when the article Annie just read talks about the letter being compared to handwritings, that's exactly what they did, because the writing on the note looked eerily like a teenage girl's handwriting. And the telephone operator who was mentioned in the article, Miss Elizabeth Toole, she didn't dare to leave the house by herself and was accompanied by friends or family to and from work. And at one point, police was even guarding her house. Uh, and also her brother shot a total of two shots over the next couple of days, one through a wall and one through the window. That's not dangerous at all. No. Each time because he was sure he had heard someone trying to break in. I can imagine these people must have been extremely stressed by the whole thing, apparently. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Okay, so the police started to suspect that there was no mysterious snipper, or at least not all of these attacks were legit. But still, pretty much every law enforcement officer in Wilkes-Barre worked relentlessly to solve the case. The next attacks took place on 28th of February, two attacks in the span of only 12 hours. The first one was 10-year-old Winifred Sykowski. She was on her way to school that morning when an unknown man assaulted her and cut her hair close to her scalp. There are two different sources. One stated that she went to school with her hair cut. The other one said that she ran back home to her mother and that the two then walked over to the next police station and they reported the incident. And apparently Winifred Sikoski was translating everything to her mother who didn't speak English. I think they were first, uh, first generation immigrants from Poland. Mm-hmm. And she described the assailant as being of medium height, wearing a brown derby hat, a black overcoat and a walking cane. Her two blonde braids were later found by a 16-year-old boy behind his family home. That's a bummer. Someone runs up and cuts all your hair off right at the scalp. Yikes. And you still head on over to school. I mean, that's really determination. Because your education is important. True. And you're not going to let it lapse just because someone took all your hair. Then, in the early evening hours of that same day, 22-year-old Barbara Feist, we heard about her already in the article you just read, Annie. Yep. Uh, she was sitting in her bedroom, combing her beautiful, thick, jet black hair, when a man climbed through her window and cut parts of her hair off. Now, what's interesting about this attack, as the article stated, the victim had received a warning beforehand, just like Anna did. 
On Monday, 26th of February, the family had received a letter via mail informing them that he, the snipper, will come to get Barbara's hair. And of course, Barbara's family didn't, uh, you know, they didn't want to just stand by doing nothing after receiving such a threat. So they installed burglar alarms, you know, bells and cans and everything that would make a lot of noise were attached to the windows and doors. They were sure that the snipper stood no chance. Yeah, they home aloneed it, right? I mean, how are you going to get through that? But it does look as though he actually made his way into Barbara's bedroom because they hadn't prepped every single window like that. And I think we all know if you're going to do that, like, go big or go home. Like, don't just booby trap a couple of windows. You have to do all the windows. I mean, they're windows. People can see what's going on on the other side. So this is again from the Wilkes-Barre record from May 1917, 1st of May 1917, and the article is entitled Carefully Prepared Attack, and so this is an excerpt from that. Quote, the attack, according to the Feist girl, was made at 6.50 o'clock, which is a weird way to write it. Last night, (laughs) it was made at 6.50 o'clock. I'm not sure that's how time works, but I'm not judging. Uh, last night, while she was combing her hair in front of a dresser close to a window, which gives onto the roof of the front porch. This roof is steep and is 20 feet from the ground. According to the girl, the window was suddenly opened, and she was seized about the waist and drawn down to the floor, her head and shoulders being on a level with the window. The hair on the right side was cut in greater quantity than on the left, but she had no opportunity to get a look at the man, who, she says, had first pushed a bottle of chloroform under her nose. Whoever he was, Miss Feist told the detectives, he had awfully nice hands, well manicured, and wore a pretty black signet ring on the third finger of the left hand, which was around my waist. I screamed as soon as I got my breath, and my brother came running into my room with a revolver, but before he had his head out the window, the man had jumped to the ground. My brother fired five shots, end quote. It's always good to fire shots if you don't know where you're firing at. Uh, yeah, by all means, please Perfect. just fire randomly out an open window into the night. Go yeah. for it. Or through walls. Please. It's good. No, obviously don't do any of that. My God, they're lucky no one was hurt. Ms. Feist produced a small piece of paper, apparently torn from the back of an envelope. On this were scrawled the words, quote, tell your sister I'll be back for her hair. No harm, the snipper, end quote. Careful preparation had been made to ward off the attack of the snipper since the warning letter was received through the mail on Monday. The brother, who had stretched cords strung with cowbells and sleigh bells at every door and on every stairway, said last night that he failed to provide an alarm from the front windows, which he said were locked. There were no signs that the locks had been picked on the three front windows in the room in which the girl said she was attacked, nor were there footprints in the soft ground in their front yard, end quote. Hmm. That was really something. That whole ordeal she went through, huh? And now the city council offered a $100 reward for every hint that led to the snipper's arrest. Girls were not allowed to walk or play outside alone anymore. Doors and windows were kept firmly locked and guarded if it was not possible to lock them. Men and boys were patrolling the streets armed with bats and two-by-fours with nails in them on the lookout for this bizarre attacker. And of course, this led to a couple of really dangerous situations. Dangerous for innocent men just minding their own business when they were identified as the snipper for one reason or another. One poor salesman found himself surrounded by over 400 boys and men because he was wearing a brown fedora and a black overcoat. I mean, they don't look great together, but that's too many people to be angry about it. (laughs) 
who wears a brown hat and a black coat? Please, just, people. I please. mean, who are these people? But you don't need to attack him for that. No, it's not It's not an attackable offense. It's not like he wore white after Labor Day. Jesus. It's not like socks and sandals. It's, it's <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. The city council and the police of Wilkes-Barre knew that there were only two ways to end this, by either arresting the, quote, pervert and maniac, as they called him, or by proving without a doubt that the snipper does not exist. And guess what? Only two days later, the people of Wilkes-Barre read in the newspaper that the police had found four boys who had confessed to writing some of the threatening notes that had been circulating over the last couple of days as part of a practical joke. And it grew quiet in Wilkes-Barre, but was the snipper truly gone, if he had even existed at all? Or had he just moved on? Because now two reports came in from Larksville, situated just across the river. The first victim was Mrs. Jennings Steele, who lived with her husband at her parents' home. She woke up around 3.30am from a heavy sleep with the feeling of having been drugged. She soon realized that her hair was partially cut off, the locks lying on the bed, and so she woke up her husband and father and the men ran outside to look for the intruder, but couldn't find anybody. They couldn't even find footprints, although the ground was covered in snow. I have to tell you that Mrs. Jennings Steele, too, had received a warning a couple of days earlier and that her family had kept the doors locked and the windows nailed shut. But the snipper had somehow managed to loosen the nail that kept the kitchen window shut and that was apparently his way into the family's home. They also found a note that was written on a bill that the victim had kept in a book under her pillow. So she was with her head... On the pillow, under the pillow was the book, in the book was the note. The snipper had managed to take out the note from under her head. I mean... That's some Houdini... Houdini level... He was a fan of close-up magic. The note was a warning for the neighbor that she will be the next to receive a visit from the nipper. It was not signed by the snipper, it was signed the nipper. Strange, right? It is strange. The second victim in Larksville was 16-year-old Nelly Benoski. She too had received a note, but not via mail. This time it was pushed under her door. It read, quote, You are going to lose your nice hair, end quote. And indeed, the next day, a Sunday morning, when Nelly returned from church, a man struck her on the head and her hair was cut close to her scalp. Her screams alarmed her brother inside the house, who came running and tried to chase the attacker, but he was not successful. I can't imagine why. <laughs> He was just fast. On 8th of March, fun fact, 8th of March 1917, that's the day the February Revolution started in Russia. If you go after the Julian calendar that was still in place in Russia at the time, that was February. But uh, for us, using the Gregorian calendar, it was already March. So 8th of March 1917, start of the February Revolution. I just found that interesting to place this little story in a greater historical context, time You're like a living encyclopedia. This episode is loaded with facts that we are going to use when pub quiz and trivia nights are back. I can't wait. <laughs> so yeah, that day a schoolmate of Winifred, you remember the little 10-year-old girl who was attacked on her way to school and was translating for her mom at the police station? So a schoolmate of hers, her name was Julia Stefanski, and she was 11. She hadn't been to school for almost a week. I think that was because many people were keeping their daughters at home because they were afraid of another snipper attack. 
That afternoon, around 3 p.m., Julia was sleeping at the kitchen table, her head resting on her arm. Her brother was taking a nap in the adjacent room. I think the mother had just left for a short while, probably to run an errand because she was working later that day. But also, kids were left home for longer periods, you know. But yeah, for whatever reason, mom wasn't there. She had to probably run some errands because she was working later that day. She worked evening shifts. So around 3.30 in the afternoon, the mother had returned home and saw that the hair of her sleeping daughter was missing a few inches. Unfortunately, she left the kitchen door unlocked when she had left the house. And if you just thought that it's so weird that these two girls who knew each other from school both fell victim to Jack the Snipper, then you're not alone. Because now police really started to think once more that some of these attacks were probably made up. Mm -hmm. And the very next day, the people of Wilkes-Barre would read the following article. So that's uh, from the issue 9th of March 1917, the Wilkes-Barre record. They testify in case against Mr. Doe as to mystical check, but the police still shake their heads in doubt. One girl tells story that points to theory that John works with four hands. Is John the Snipper a fantasy conceived in the minds of children and others who are ready to sacrifice their hair for a little publicity or other compensating factor? The city police, the state constabulary, the district attorney's office and others are trying diligently to find whether there really exists a nut who is doing the things reported or whether the victims are victims of their own imagination and their wish to imitate. An air of mystery permeates the evidence in every case reported, and while the police have been unable to disclose any perjury if it does exist, they are not at all satisfied that Jack the Snipper exists except in the victims themselves or in their friends. Determined to get at the bottom of the affair, the police yesterday took out John Doe warrants before Alderman Brown... I'm just reading the, the article right here and it says subpoenaed. <laughs> I'm sorry. A number of those whose hair has been clipped... They were heard before the magistrate and were cross-examined as to the attacks which they assert were made upon them. Detectives plan deep-sea diving. Several other girls who say that they were attacked were subpoenaed, but for various <laughs> reasons could not appear. However, the detectives do not intend to drop the affair by any means, but purpose getting at the bottom of it. The reign of terror that has been created by the stories of the attacks has resulted already in several assaults upon innocent persons suspected of being Jack the Snipper. If the reign of terror has a false foundation, the authorities believe that it is time it is snipped in the butt <laughs> before it develops into a tragedy. Mob psychology is a peculiar thing and it is impossible to determine upon what it will vent itself. Violence works to fashionable ends. A plausible explanation of what might be the truth of the situation is offered in the fact that Mrs. Vernon Castle is wearing her hair short this season. Few children have not seen her in the motion picture houses and the desire to imitate is strong around 14 and 15 years of age. Of course, mothers are not prone to permit their children to imitate stage characters, but children find ways of outwitting parents. The same might be said of those who are no longer children. A woman might desire to imitate Mrs. Castle, but would lack the necessary courage to arbitrarily set the fashion of a city like Wilkes-Barre. Does it make sense? To arbitrarily set the fashion yeah. of a city like Wilkes-Barre. I think okay. whoever wrote this article, like... They used a lot of words that don't mean what they think. They're like close to the right word, but not quite. It's like they someone had to get this article out and they were like, hey, kid, I know you usually just deliver them every other Saturday, but if you could write up an article real quick, that'd be super. It's great. 
She might, however, welcome the operations of a check the snipper. This does not mean that the victims of the local Jack the Snipper, whether he is a real entity or a creation of the mental faculties, have followed this path. But the suggestion is made to show that it would easily be possible for those desiring an excuse for short hair to employ such a story of an attack by the mysterious stranger. End quote. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's a lot to unpack. Uh, by the way, the Mrs. Vernon Castle the article is referring to is actually Irene Castle. She, she was a famous ballroom dancer who appeared on Broadway and in silent movies at the time with her husband, Vernon Castle. That's why she's referred to Mrs. Vernon Castle. Of course. And she wore her hair short. Was it possible that the young girls just used a snipper as an excuse to cut off their long hair? Oh, surely not. I think the press had played their part in keeping the story in the eye of the public. Yeah. And even on days when there weren't any attacks and without any threatening notes, they came up with headlines like the following. So this is all one headline. Quote, so good. Jocular Jack jumps his job. Abominable <laughs> abuses abate as aberrant abbreviator abandons abnormal antics. <laughs> Cops couldn't catch capillary clipper. I think that's my favorite. This next one, what you have to understand is every single word starts with the letter K. It's, we'll post a photograph of this one in our Facebook group. King of curl cutters cleverly keeps clear of capture. Cute castle coiffures <laughs> conspicuous. All case. Totally reminds me of Ted Lasso. I think it was like, there was just snipper mania. It was, everybody was mm. snipper crazy. And at one point, even men were not safe anymore. On the 11th of March, a man by the name of Jacob Borowski, he was standing in the doorway of a butcher shop, just chatting away with a butcher when he was jumped by another man and half of his beard was cut off. Snip, 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 said the newspaper. <laughs> Jesus. This, I'm laughing because I just wish this is what was in the news right now. Like, I wish this was my biggest worry. At least in this case, the alleged assailant could be arrested soon after, and hopefully his beard grew back quickly. Yeah, it looks as if there were several copycat snippers going on at the same time in various locations, and then probably some of the girls really had cut their own hair for whatever reason. Yeah. Because the very next day, the police got a written and signed confession from Winifred Tsaikovsky and Julia Stefanski, stating that the two girls had made up the attacks, that it was not Jack the Snipper, but uh, the girls themselves. Winifred had even taken her mother's scissors with her that day on her way to school, and she had cut her two long braids off, and then she just threw them away while she was passing a house. And here are excerpts of the written confession. I, Winifred Sarkowski, 428 South Grand Street, City, did cut off my hair on the morning of February 28, 1917, on my way to school at 7.30 a.m. and threw it away alongside of a barn. I told my teacher at school that a man had cut it off as I was coming through the alley. I also took my mother's large shears to school with me. And Julia Stefanski says... Dear Chief, I, Julia Stefanski, rear 313 East Northampton Street, City, sat down on a chair in the kitchen, and my brother Joseph was in the dining room sleeping on a couch. I got my mama's scissors and cut off some of my hair, and put the hair in the ashes, put it under the ashes. When mama came home, she saw hair was gone and asked what happened, and I said, I didn't know. I was asleep, and I got up, and it was gone. Yours truly, Julia Stefanski. <laughs> I love how in that one, the witness is her mother. I think it's kind of cute in a way how she writes it. It is. 
It reminds me of once when I was a kid, I took a dog cookie off the floor. There used to be like, you could buy dog biscuits by the pound at this grocery store, you know, like little, and there was one on the ground. So I crawled underneath. It was all dusty and gross. And I put it in my pocket and I brought it home. But when my mom saw me take it out of my pocket, she made me go home and apologize back and apologize, even though it was on the floor. (laughs) I had to go back and apologize for stealing. That sucked. My maternal grandfather, he had these things where he did cut off, like, he hated it when we had, you know how in the 80s we had dresses with, with this, like, ruching, like, with, yes. yeah, with elastics, exactly, like, puffy yeah. sleeves and stuff like that. Yeah, he hated that because he thought that it's bad for our circulation and he cut all of my dress up. Like, seriously, the whole dress was hanging down on me when, when I went home. Smocking. Isn't that what it's called? Smocking, right? I literally just found a picture of Moose and I exactly, in those yeah. dresses. He cut all of the elastics, <laughs> all of them. And uh, he also hated it when we had uh, hair hanging into our eyes. And then he cut that too. Oh. And he cut my, my cousin's hair, like really short bangs, <laughs> short, short bangs, like micro bangs like they are now. Oh. And my aunt got so mad at her and she yelled at her and said, why did you cut your own hair? And my, my cousin was like five or six and she was like, I didn't. Granddad did it. And she was like, stop lying. <laughs> ah, the best memories. But he did. He really did. Memories from the 80s. <laughs> All right. So... These girls had heard about the early snipper attacks and thought they wanted to be part of it for whatever reason. But what about those early cases? What about the McCowan, McCune, still not sure how to pronounce that last name, so sorry. McEwen sisters, for example, so victims two and three. Apparently a plumber was called to their home because the drain was clogged. And guess what they found? A braid of hair. That was the real reason for the blocked drainage. Listen, girls. Don't flush things down the toilet that aren't toilet paper. Nothing. Just don't do it. An entire braid of hair. Can you imagine? And the first victim, Sarah Corson, the one who was tickled under the chin by the snipper, she too confessed to cutting her own hair, the reason being that she thought short hair would look prettier. And it looks like that was it. There was never a Jack the Snipper. There was no crazed maniac just obsessed with teenage hair. Nothing. I still can't believe how many people jumped on that bandwagon. Not only teenage girls, but boys, men, people who wanted to scare the women in their neighborhood, someone even cutting off men's beards. Yeah. Somehow it makes me think that those weird social media challenges are just a new face to something that has been around forever as part of human psychology. Oh, absolutely. I kept thinking throughout the whole thing how different the history of Massachusetts would be if instead of... The Salem Witch Trials, there was just a lot of real bad haircuts. Just. (laughs) Do you remember that year in Salem when everybody had short bangs? Just more bad haircuts, fewer hangings? It (laughs) sounds like a really bad campaign slogan. Yep. Also, you wouldn't get a lot of tourists over Halloween. That's true. The Witch City is... It is the Witch City. (laughs) I mean, look, it appears to be a funny story. It's, It's really... It's a funny story. And look at these girls what they did and but somehow i don't know if you look deeper deep down it's it's actually a little bit sad if you think about it that young girls had to come up with the story of a man attacking them just so that they could have short or shorter hair i just have a hard time wrapping my head around it because i spent so you know how your grandfather used to cut people's bangs my parents were like 
they just kept our hair really short because once my mom went back to work teaching when we were in school, they were like, it's too much. I guess we just argued too much about brushing our hair or whatever it was, but we didn't really have a say. We just went to the place and we came out with the Dorothy Hamill. And I spent my childhood with old ladies telling me that the boys' room was across the hall, and then the girls in junior high locked me out of the bathrooms because I looked like a boy on account of my short hair. So, yeah. God. I had really long hair. That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. I've had both, but now my hair is always long, only because I only go to the hair salon like once or twice a year. And long hair is a lot easier than short hair. For me, it is, because my hair is not straight. You know what I kept thinking when I was reading these articles? Like, during the pandemic, during lockdown, the thought of a man jumping through the window and cutting off your hair wouldn't have been the worst thing that could have happened. I didn't go to the hairdresser for a year. Like yeah. many, many, many of us did. That's and not uncommon. Yeah, I hated me. it. <laughs> <laughs> it was the longest, though, yeah. I needed a haircut. We all needed a haircut. Yeah. (laughs) Something good. Uh, My something good this week is my dad and my sister are visiting, and we are going to binge watch. I think we're going to watch Only Murders in the Building, and then we're going to watch the one that you recommended with Nicole Kidman and Melissa McCarthy. Nine Perfect Strangers. Yes. How is it? Did you finish it? Uh, No spoilers, but did you enjoy it? It's once a week, and it's still not finished. I really enjoy it, and I'm also listening to the audiobook. Also, I have to say, I said it's on Amazon Prime, which it is in Europe, but... Here it's Hulu, I think. Yeah. I enjoy it. I think you're going to like it. Good. Many have a problem with Nicole Kidman and her face and all the Botox and fillers, but I think she looks good. I think she... I like her. I always like her. I don't know. She looks like a China doll. Well... She looks like a very precious doll. Yes, that's true. It's funny. My nephew's girlfriend, when he sent me a picture of her who lives in England, I said, she looks like a young Nicole Kidman, which she is. She's 18, 19, but... Mm. She looked like, she looks like Nicole Kidman in Far and Away, like, which was when I'm, oh, I was obsessed with that movie movie. when I was in high school. I just thought it was the most romantic movie I'd ever seen in my life until Titanic. My something good is, I think, our Facebook group, because you mentioned only murders in a building, which is so much fun. Yeah. And then I asked the question, because Steve Martin just admitted to listening to true crime podcasts, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I asked the question in our Facebook group, now, how do we get Steve Martin to become a Hellion? And our group members, our Hellions, came up with the best plans. So <laughs> Look out, Steve Martin. Them. We're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love us, whether you want to or not. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We can't tell you how much we appreciated it. Thank you so much for your support. We would love it if you enjoy our podcast. Please leave us a review. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or Spotify, I think now is doing beta beta testing reviews, we would be ever so grateful if you would leave us a positive review. We'd really appreciate it. You can also support us and find all the ways you can support us by going to our website, which is www.freshhellpodcast.com. And that will give you links to our merchandise if you're interested in a face mask or a hoodie or a long sleeve t-shirt while starting to get a little cooler, finally, thankfully. 
You can email us at freshhellpodcast at gmail.com. You'll also find our P.O. box there. And then, of course, a link to our Patreon. Uh, And we are so grateful and just amazed at the support that you've shown us. And you can find more information on that on our webpage or go to patreon.com and just search for Fresh Hell Podcast. Yes, please tell your pets we said hi. I don't know. I always try to come up with things that you, that you should do to your pet or with your pet or how you should treat your pet. You know what? You know the drill already. Yeah. Do whatever your pet's into. Yeah. Just, you know, you know your pets. I don't know your pets. Do what they like. That's it. <laughs> Be nice and kind to your fellow human beings as well. And that's it. That's, that's our message for today. And if you, like so many of us, are going through hell at the moment, keep going. Cheers. Bye.